So we've been in the series called Philippians. I mean, it isn't called Philippians. It's been a series on Philippians called Joy and Chains. Now, um, the reason why it's called Joy and Chains is because Paul, the apostle, we're familiar with him. We like Paul. We like Paul, right? We love Paul. He wrote this, he wrote this, this book, this letter, actually is what it is, while imprisoned in Rome. And I don't want to spend a ton of time setting the, setting the framework for this, for this letter because that's already been done pretty thoroughly over the past three weeks. But I do want to remind you that it was indeed written by Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome to the believers in Philippi. Now, Philippi is an interesting place. It's, it was a city in the northeastern region of modern-day Greece. An interesting thing about it is that a lot of retired Roman soldiers lived there. They would give land to retired Roman soldiers as gratitude for their service, but even more so, so that they could have retired soldiers standing in the gap on the frontier of the Roman Empire. And so just think about this for a moment. We have a persecuted prisoner writing to a relatively affluent community who, based on the words of Paul and the descriptions and the instructions he gives them, seems like they have some reason for pride or some reason for comfort, and we know that they're a generous people because of how much Paul thanks them. We see two groups of people or one person in a group of people on opposite sides of the spectrum of human experience, and it's from there that we start Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. If you're taking notes, this message is called Lean In. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Coeur d'Alene, 2020, Heart of the City Church. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He goes on to say, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm going to say that one again. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And the very familiar phrase, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Will you pray with me, church? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is trustworthy. In a world where we hear lots of voices and don't know which ones to trust, we thank you that we can trust your word in your voice. Today we pray that your word would shape us and mold us and form us. God, that we would leave this place different from how we came. That we would open our hearts 
for the surgery that your word does, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between even joints and marrow, soul and spirit. We're open to you today. Let us be good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. So you ever, you ever been around a person who just knows how to turn just about every situation into a bad thing? Um, some some in, our, in our culture, we might call them a wet towel. You know any wet towels out there? I know some wet towels. But it's like they could be having the best day. You know, I think about that skit from SNL, Debbie Downer, where they're like sitting around the table. I'm not necessarily endorsing SNL, so, you know, no emails, okay, church? But they're sitting around. This particular skit, I know it's not inappropriate, this particular episode of this particular skit, church. Gosh, I feel like I have to clarify everything in the world these days. They're sitting around a table, and they're talking about the rides they're going to ride. They're talking about the foods they're going to get. And every time that they decide on the next thing they're going to do and they're celebrating about it, you got this gal who just kind of has this sour look on her face. And then she talks about some statistic about how they're going to die on the ride or how they're going to get food poisoning or something or other. And it just zooms on her face and it goes, wah, wah. You guys familiar? You guys familiar with those people in real life? When I came to Coeur d'Alene, I was 14 years old. I was, I was going to be a freshman in high school. And I came uh, pretty naive, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go into high school, and I generally believe that people are going to like me and want to be friends with me. <laughs> Took me about a week at Lake City High School to realize that that was not the case. <laughs> the most common language that surrounded me by my peers was that of pessimism and sarcasm. And the easiest target for sarcasm and pessimism is an optimistic outlook, which I had for a hot second. It didn't take me long to read the room and realize that if I was going to thrive in this new environment, that I was going to have to learn to adapt to my culture. And so what seemed totally backwards to me, I began to learn. And I go, okay, so if anyone's having a good day, I just shut them down. If we're in a good situation that people are, you know, could, that something we're celebrating, I just point out the crappy thing. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I just, <laughs> it's 11-11. <laughs> my filters are going down a little bit. I just point out the unfortunate thing about that situation and punish anyone who dares to come with a silver lining. And I didn't realize until I was in college what a negative jerk that i become. And I was sitting around with a group of friends at Whitworth University, and we were talking, and I must have made some kind of stupid comment. And uh, this guy looks over at me and goes, Seth, you are such a hater. <laughs> and uh, that cut me, you know, because no one wants to be a hater, right? But, and, and I defended myself, and I was like, no, no, it's because. But I knew inside in my heart of hearts that it was true. I knew that this language that seemed foreign to me at once now had become my native tongue. And at that point, I began kind of a journey. I think it was my sophomore year of college, if I remember right. I began this journey of unlearning my garbage attitude, unlearning my overly critical way of going about things that I had learned for survival in high school. Now, some of you who walk closely with me are saying, Seth, you have not arrived, and I recognize that. I have not arrived in that area. Some of you were in conversations with, this week that you, with me this week, and you're going, Seth's a negative Nancy. Look, look, precursor, pre-call, disclaimer, I am not super, super great in the area that I'm preaching to you today, okay? I'm learning. I'm getting better. I'm a whole lot better than I was 
in a high school mom, right? Better? Oh, my gosh. She's got that look of desperation like, thank you, Jesus, that you are not who you were in high school. But I get it also because I was a knucklehead and I was mean to people. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness and newness of life. Um, so, but, I, but I tell you that because I'm still working on it, okay? So I, I want you to hear me from that place today. I'm preaching to you from some still moderate, not moderate, some relative brokenness, okay? But I still think that what God impressed upon my heart and what he convicted me toward this week is still for you. So just because I'm not perfect in it, I can't let that stop me from telling you what the Lord is saying, amen? So we're going to look at a few different elements of Philippians chapter 4 today in that passage that I just read. But I do want to zoom in on one word in particular. And this one word is said three different times in this chapter and at least six other times in the letter. And that word is one that you'll be familiar with, especially in the Christmas season. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, as soon as you hear rejoice, you might have a picture in your head. But I want to go directly to the original language that Paul wrote Philippians in, which is Greek. We understand that New Testament was primarily written in Greek and the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. Amen? Good. We're on with that. So in Greek, this word for rejoice is quiero. And it, it, it finds itself or it finds its, its origins in two root words, one being kar, which means, it kind of sounds like Spanish, right, quiero? And I'm probably saying it more Spanish than Greek right now because that's what I know. Sorella knows that I speak a little bit of Spanish. Um, it finds its roots in car, which means to lean toward or to be favorably disposed to. And caris, which is a word that we would know very well um, that we say when we say it in our American accent, we say caris or whatever, and that means grace. So car and caris, to lean toward or to be favorably disposed and grace. Now, the reason I take a moment to unpack this word a little bit for you today is because I think that this understanding of the word rejoice is incredibly relevant to this cultural, mo cultural moment that we find ourselves in right now. Now, what I'm not saying is that Paul was, didn't have any meaning toward the idea of rejoicing that we see in a manifestation of celebration and excitement. I'm not saying that he wasn't communicating that at all. And in fact, I think that he would say to a lot of the Western world, and a lot of the United States of America that we could do a little bit better with our excitement and our celebration, especially when it comes to the things of God. Especially when it comes to the things of God. I just want to challenge you this morning. I just want to challenge you this morning. If you get more excited when your favorite song comes on in the world, or when your favorite football team plays on TV, or whatever you get jazzed about, if you're more expressive in that atmosphere, and you come in here, and you got nothing in your physical manifestation to bring to God, and you say, well, it's, not, it's because I don't want to be ingenuine, I call bull. I call bull. So that's just, that's for free. That's not even what I'm talking about today. <laughs> that being said, when I'm talking about rejoicing today, I want to look at this meaning of these two roots coming together, because what I would submit to you today is that what Paul would say is that even when you can't muster up inside of you the strength to get stoked, that you can still, like the way he says it, says it at the beginning of this passage, can rejoice in the Lord always. That even when you can't clap, even when you can't cheer, even when you can't dance, or maybe even when you can't smile, you can lean in to grace. 
you can lean into grace. And that's why rejoice in the Lord always. There are several situations in which it is not appropriate to be clapping and cheering. There is a time for us to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. But even in the midst of mourning and even in the midst of weeping, we can lean into grace. I love the way he puts it in this passage right here. He says, I'm going I'm to repeat a, a part of what we just read. He says it like this. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret. I wonder why he says it that way. Maybe because a lot of us don't find that in our lives. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he goes on to this phrase, which is the, probably the most cherry-picked and misunderstood scripture in the whole Bible, which is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The famous tattoo for athletes and young people who want to be famous, but more accurately understood with the words surrounding it, this is a phrase of endurance. This is a phrase of perseverance, not accomplishment. Not accomplishment. It could be much, maybe more easily understood if we read it like this. I can make it through, through him who strengthens me. I can conquer this situation, this trial that I'm facing through him who strengthens me. I can not give up right now and not throw in the towel through him who strengthens me. Not, I can make a million dollars through him who strengthens me. I can be president through him who strengthens me. I can dunk a basketball when I'm... 5'9", through Christ, him who strengthens me, right? Some 5'9 people can dunk a basketball. Not this one. Not this one. But the thing about Paul right here, even though that we see that scripture a lot of times and we, we, use, we misuse it, the kind of rejoicing that Paul is talking about during this time, the kind, of this, the kind of contentment, the kind of doing all things, is not in light of surrounding circumstance. It is in spite of surrounding circumstance because we have to remember, where is he writing this letter from, friends? Prison. He's writing this imprisoned going, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not saying I can, I can make sure and get out of this prison or I can make sure that I never face any suffering again and I can escape the beatings and I can escape the abandonment and I can escape the shipwreck. No, 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 no. I can make it to the other side. I want that kind of rejoicing in my life. I want to be able to rejoice. I want to be able to lean into grace when it is apparent and easy for me to see the grace of God. You know those days when you're like, oh, God, you're so good because of this and this and this and this and this. But I want to be able to lean into his grace when I go, God, I am going through it, but I know that you are steadfast. I can't feel you, but I know that you are with me. It seems like I'm completely alone, but I know that you have not abandoned me. I don't see your work in my life at this very moment, but I know you're working. And I think Paul gives us instruction on how we can rejoice in that way. Not the shallow rejoicing of the world that just celebrates when something good happens, but the constant state of leaning into God's grace regardless of what we're facing. Plenty and need. Abundance and hunger. First, right after Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always, 
He says this phrase that I think it's really easy for us to look over because it seems odd coming directly after a command to rejoice. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness. What makes this phrase, I think, so interesting in light of understanding rejoicing as leaning into grace is that it is, again, we'll go back to the original language, which is apiakis, which is this idea of understanding beyond the letter of the law, beyond the letter of the law, and grasping the true justice of God. The true justice of God. That is to say, it is to be more concerned with the heart of God for his people than a set of rules and regulations. Now, receive this next part in love. Amen? Say, Seth, I'm going to receive this in love. You promised. I think a lot of us have been patting ourselves on the back during this time of national turmoil because we're comforting ourselves saying, well, I'm speaking truth. Well, I'm speaking truth. I'm speaking truth, so I'm doing my job. I'm speaking truth. I'm doing my job. I'm filling my Facebook with truth, so I'm doing my job. I'm filling my TikTok with truth, so I'm doing my job. I'm filling my Instagram with truth. I'm filling my Twitter with truth, so I'm doing my job. I'm filling my whatever other people use other than those things. I'm doing my job. Here's the thing. That's great for stroking your spiritual ego, but it's not the way of Apiacus and it's not the way of Jesus. Here's the thing. Let me just, just fill me on this. Parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. What was rewarded in that situation, if you remember right, was fruitfulness. You can double barrel truth for your whole life, but if you don't learn how to be palatable and compassionate and gracious and kind, you're going to fall on a lot of deaf ears, and there ain't no brownie points for that. No, so do speak truth, for sure. I'm not talking about backing down from truth for a second. I'm just saying the way that Jesus came, the Bible says, is he came in grace and in truth. He came understanding the true justice of God, which has grace and mercy built into it, the spirit of the law over the letter of the law. He continues on in his instruction, saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It seems to me like anxiety could almost be viewed as an antonym or an opposite for rejoicing, because when we're, when we're anxious, we fix our eyes on the problem, right? But when we're rejoicing, we fix our eyes on the solution. How do we fix our eyes on the solution? Well, he gives us a really cool little formula right here. We pray, we give thanks, and we bring supplication. We don't use that word a lot, so I'm going to explain a little bit more. So we acknowledge God, we thank God for what he's done, and we bring our complaint or our need to God. That's what supplication is. You bring your complaint or your need. What's going wrong in your life, you bring it to God. I have this theory that if we made a little bit more of a practice of bringing our complaints and our needs to God first, they actually wouldn't make it into very many of our conversations because they already would have been solved by either the situation changing or God shifting our perspective on the situation. So the next time that you feel the urge in 2020, which we don't have that much longer in 2020, praise the Lord. The next time you feel the urge to complain about a believer who falls on the other side of the political aisle than you, about someone who has a little bit different viewpoint on COVID restrictions than you, feathers be getting ruffled up in this house. About anything controversial that has happened, it seems like it's been the year of controversy. Ask yourself this. Have I brought my complaint 
to God. And maybe given the one person who really can do something about it a chance to do something about it. You feel me? We lean into grace when we place our whole lives before God and we look to him as the source of the blessing, that is, thank him, and we look at him as the solution to the need, supplication. He finishes his instruction this way. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, when I read this list, i got to be honest, I think about so many of the conversations that I've had over the past nine months. And as I'm reflecting, I'm just searching. Seth, how much have you talked about what is good and beautiful in this world? Now you might be going, well, Seth, don't be, don't be go denying what's going on. Don't pretend like nothing's wrong. Not what I'm doing. I'm not suggesting that for one second that you live in denial or pretend like everything's peachy keen, pretend like there hasn't been a disease, pretend like there hasn't been racial tensions, pretend like there hasn't been, I don't know, the list goes on and on and on. I don't have time to talk about all the issues we've faced this year, but I'm not talking about pretending those things don't exist. Not at all. I'm just saying maybe we're a little bit or a lot of bit out of balance with the amount of focus, attention, and energy that we have given to sickness to division, to hatred, to sorrow, and to strife this year. Just a little out of balance, friends. I'm telling you, every time I wake up and I look at my little news app, the top article every time could be summarized as doom. (laughs) Doom. I don't know if you've seen that meme with a little green alien, but it's like, next up on 11 o'clock news, doom, and it's like every day in 2020. Again, I'm not talking about living in denial, but can we please acknowledge for a minute that you are still breathing, that God is still good, that he's still working, that he's still healing, that he's still doing miracles, that you still have a family, you still have people that love you, that you still have food on your table. Can Can we acknowledge for one second that not everything is doom, okay? You know, and some of us, we, we give ourselves the license to be habitually negative because we say, well, I'm just being real. I'm just trying to be genuine. And I'm all about being real and genuine. I don't think anyone should be faking anything. All I'm saying is that as a son or daughter of God, eventually the most real, genuine you is going to be a beacon of hope and not just another voice that's being added to the echo chamber of darkness and despair in this world. I'm just saying. Sons and daughters are beacons of hope. Doesn't mean you can't have a bad day. Doesn't mean that you can't mess up. But at the end of the day, the realest you, you're redeemed. You are purchased. You are, it is not the realest you to be complaining every day. Not if you're a believer. Not if you're a believer. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, you need to repent. The first, no, 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 don't. Don't take, it as, don't take it as being rude because we look at Jesus near the very beginning of the Gospels. What does it say that Jesus went? He goes, Jesus went about preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we're like, don't say repent. That's mean. No, <laughs> repent is turn. It's change your mind. It's fix your focus on the highest thing, not the lowest thing. Repent is like this. Come on. Well, that's just, that's just the way I am. Sorry, Jesus meets you where, you at, where you're at, but he sure isn't going to leave you there. If you haven't changed in 20 years, you haven't been following Jesus. 
There's no room for it. There's no room for it. I got to get back on my notes, otherwise I'm going to say something I get in trouble for. <laughs> Woo! I might be too late for that. <sighs> it's the 11-11, y'all. You never know what you're going to get. Listen, a voice of hope. Again, I want to get this point across that you're not hearing what I'm not saying. A voice of hope is not one that denies that darkness exists. A voice of hope is one that, okay, acknowledges the darkness, but then, but then proclaims that the light is stronger and that it will overcome the darkness. It's not about pretending. It's about overcoming. It's not about not saying that things are rough. It's saying, but God. But God. It's saying, I know there's a storm, but my king sleeps in storms. He rebukes the wind and the waves. It's having an understanding that, just like we were singing earlier, if God is for me, who can be against me? And I know that that's, I know that that's popular to, to claim in Christianity, but I just gotta be, re, I gotta be real with you right now. Are you giving more authority, more power, more of a throne in your life to fear about a disease or fear about racial relations or fear about a relationship that's being broken in your life than the king of kings? Idolatry slips in real easy, friends, and it has to do with your time and your focus and your energy. What is it going toward? And I will show you who your God is. I will show you who your God is if you show me your calendar, your checkbook, and your thought process. We lean into grace when we walk as a people with a different spirit, like Caleb and Joshua. You know, the difference between Caleb and Joshua and the other spies, you guys know the story? Spies going into Canaan? It wasn't that they saw different things. It wasn't that they weren't in the same situation. It wasn't that they weren't both experiencing a metaphorical pandemic. Feel me? It was what they fixed their eyes on. 10 of the spies came back and said, dang, those giants are huge. Caleb and Joshua come back, they go, dang, that fruit is huge. The reality was the same for the 10 and the 2. But Caleb and Joshua walked in a different way, and they brought a hopeful report. I'm just encouraging you, church, if you want to lean into grace, bring a hopeful report. Not, not sunshines or rainbows and lollipops and all that, just a hopeful report. Yes, there's darkness, but light. Paul then challenges the Philippians to follow his example in life, which we see at the beginning and end of this passage, a life that is marked by rejoicing always and being content in every situation. Here's the beautiful promise that comes along with following Paul's instruction toward rejoicing today. What is it? Peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I am in need of that kind of peace. This isn't the shallow peace of the world that comes from a day off. It's not the shallow peace of the world that, that comes from you not having an anxious situation. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding finds us at the worst time of our lives with wholeness inside of us. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it doesn't say will guard you from terrible situations. It will guard your hearts and your minds as you pass through them. It surpasses all understanding because it don't make no sense. It don't make no sense to be at peace 
when you get a cancer diagnosis. It doesn't make any sense to be at peace when you lose your job. It doesn't make any sense to be at peace when you lose a loved one. But that's the kind of peace that comes with those who fix our eyes on the God and not the storm. So like Paul did to the church at Philippi, he offered them an invitation, I think. It, they came in the form of command, but I think God would bring a similar invitation to the church at Coeur d'Alene. Rejoice. No, don't go and fake a bunch of stuff that's not actually happening. I'm not saying that you need to conjure up something that you're not experiencing. But instead, turn toward, lean in to the grace of God which has been so abundantly provided to you. In the weeping and in the laughing, we can rejoice. We can lean into grace regardless of the season that we are in. So when you hear that command, rejoice in the Lord always, don't look at it as an impossible feat. It is simply walking with the awareness of the truest reality, that God is here and that he is for us and that he is making a way. Amen. Would you stand with me?